0: Hello, this is the Saints score episode 129 on voice FM radio, as well as all of your good podcasting platforms. We've got all four of us this week, Mikey, Jamie and Ollie to review Southampton's first win of the season against Leeds United. I can't believe I'm saying it. And (laughs) also uh, previewing the trip or it's another home game against Burnley, isn't it? So back to back home games, Mikey, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm doing alright, thank you. Um, it's It's been a lovely, it was a lovely weekend. It was great. It was so good, you know, Sampton winning, Tottenham winning 8-1. You
0: know, even the B teams won this week. It's just a
1: fantastic
0: <laughs> week, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's it's very nice. Jamie, how are you doing? Have you been busy as busy as last week? But then, I guess it's only Tuesday from when I we... I haven't
2: been as this. busy as last week, thankfully. But I got my little, um, my uni football team trials tonight. So I'm going to be looking at people playing football and saying you're not you're better than Shane Long. So are you the judge? Are you the
0: judge this week? Are you the judge? Of course I am. In, I'm, I'm, the,
2: I'm the boss man. Well, kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Ravensbourne—I uh, believe that's Plastic where you're going. Club. Ray, they've been struggling, similar to my a side team. So, if you—if any of them aren't quite making the cut, just send yeah. them over our way. And um, all right, nice. Uh, uh, that. Well <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, you weren't here last week. How are you doing this week?
3: i yeah, I'm good. I'm recovered from all my varying illnesses that I've had over the last few weeks. So that's good. I uh, actually got to watch the game this week as well because nice. we had a lot of Sunday. We had a lot of Sunday games or games which i wasn't able to watch whereas this one was a classic saturday at three so i i do actually have some thoughts on the game this week which will be quite good
0: i'm glad to hear because I, I was talking to a few friends in my house a few days ago about how there's some weeks where all three all four of us will watch it and there's some weeks that none of us will be able to see the game but you know we've got four eyes on the game this week or well, jamie did you see it i'm, I'm not so I sure did. I watched the everyone second but me has seen it so <laughs> hey. uh, i'm glad to hear. we're all informed and should we just dive straight into it then? We played Leeds United at home. Looking at the team sheet, Gineppo and Parade back in. I think I saw a statistic somewhere that they've only ever both they've only ever played this season if both of them are played, which is which is quite nice in a way. Huh. It just shows they're, you know, true, true friends. But you know, looking at our team and looking at their team, I go straight to Mikey first. Were you quite excited because they were missing a lot of key players? Rafinha, he, he only just came back from Brazil. Calvin Phillips wasn't available. Bamford wasn't available. Was this, you know, did it feel like a real chance to get a win over Leeds?
1: To be honest, before the game, I didn't even look at the Leeds team sheet. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't look at it. And I only realised that I didn't know who actually was playing for Leeds. About five minutes into the first half, where I looked at the Leeds team and said... I've got no idea who most of these people are. Like, I can't see Calvin <laughs> Phillips, I can't see Rafinha, I can't see Bamford, and I think Rafinha and Bamford were ones that we thought were going to be out. Mm. Phillips was on the knife edge of whether he was going to be in the team or not, and thankfully he wasn't. But yeah, you could tell Leeds were not at full strength. They looked so disjointed. There was just nothing, really. I think They didn't record a single shot on target the entire game. So it, it wasn't much of a struggle defensively for us.
0: Oli, did you feel the same way or a similar way thinking, do you know what, if there's ever a time that we're going to get a win this season, it's when we've got a lot of players, even though James Earl Prowse wasn't there and they've, you know, they, their team, t- team looks a bit disjointed. You could, could sort of see that from the fact that I think we're the first team under Bielsa to outrun them. So it sort of seemed like they lacked a bit of cohesion.
3: Yeah, I was trying to look and see who I was worried about. And a bit like Mikey, I was like, I don't really know who half these people are. And you can kind of tell from the reactions of the Leeds fans as well. I always look on Twitter to see how they react. And they were kind of pretty unhappy. So mm. I was I was quite happy in that regard. And I thought our team sheet looked pretty solid as well. So before the game, yeah, I was, I was pretty confident, really.
0: Yeah, so I'll have a look a bit more of our team sheet. Jamie, you know the podcast that we did previous to this. You excited that Brozier probably was going to start. So, talk to me. You know how happy were to see him there, but also were you worried at all and see James Ward Prowse not in there for almost three years? And what impact do you think that could have had?
2: Well, I say I was, I was very happy for the young star, and especially being the first out Al- 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 Biri- Albanian. Albanian Albanian player Albanian. to score in the Premier League. Um, I mean, that's classroom, I, get, I, I guarantee he's very happy. Do you know what I, felt, I felt bad for yeah. him, though, because he couldn't celebrate properly because he hurt himself. And <laughs> El Anussi just jumped on his back and made it ten times worse, <laughs> <laughs> which definitely did not help the situation. You know, i tell you what, we played so well that game, and was a, I was honestly surprised we only came away with the 1-0. Because um, it was like Harry said, with Prowse not being the side, you do put some questions in there, thinking, oh... I don't really know, how we can cope with this, but I thought Diallo had a brilliant game pressing forward a lot. And I was quite surprised to me as he's clearly learned from and training and how he plays. Because before, I'd say Diallo was very, very much more like Romeo and quite a defensive player. But it was great to see him pushing up the field. I thought it was brilliant. I think it's a lot about
0: maturity, but also I think he's quite an athletic flair. But we'll talk about that a bit further on. And we'll we'll look at, you know, half-time. We created a lot of chances but it did seem, it felt a bit samey. Do you know what I mean? I looked at the statistics at halftime. I think they had one shot, none on target. We had 12. And I looked at <laughs> half time and I was thinking, please, not this again. It's just another case where we haven't been able to score. Looking at our first half chances, Mikey, there was a few corners that came in from Redmond. I think he had a shot himself as well, that was well saved by Elon Meslier. Were you worried, but, or were you looking at the thinking going, well, Leeds just don't have any creative quality. They, A, don't have their creator in Rafinha, but B, they don't have their scorer in Bamford. So they didn't really have any attacking power apart from Dan James, who at times did look a bit worrying.
1: I think as soon as we hit half time I, I, I didn't like the thought that I had, but it's very similar to the last two games we played against hmm. Leeds, down at Ellen Road and down at St Mary's. Where first half, we had dominant chances. We, we dominate the first half. We had three or four chances where we could have scored. And Leeds didn't look too much. They looked like a threat, but they didn't look too much into the game. And the thought at halftime was, I've seen this twice before. Where <laughs> we've dominated the first half. We haven't taken our chances. And then all of a sudden, Leeds have got some half-the-chance bounce, which they got two of, in all fairness. Jack Harrison uh, did a fantastic shift of the ball around Romeu, managed to get a shot off that Salisu blocked, and then Dan James running past Salisu and nearly slotting that in. They had their chances to like equalise or take the lead. And I knew that was going to happen, but it was due to their lack of squad squad depth. And due to the lack of quality that they had on the field, they didn't get that goal, thankfully.
0: Yeah, and you know, thankfully it was us that got that goal. Brozier was the scorer of it. And how important was it that he he's finally got his first goal? I mean, it's his first Premier League start, he's got his chance. Do you think now players like Adams and I'm surprised that Armstrong wasn't in the team either? That is Adam, that is. Do you think that now he's almost guaranteed a spot for the next few weeks? He had a couple of chances, but he, he did find the back of the net, which we've sort of struggled with in recent weeks, Ollie.
3: Oh, that's a lot, I guess <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I thought it was interesting that Adam Armstrong got dropped, but um, we've seen kind of both sides of Brozier. We saw him have a very good uh spell as a substitute when he came on against. Uh, West Ham, was it? I Mm, think it was. Um, He looked very, very good in that game. So that got the fans very excited for him to play. But then also his game against Sheffield United in the Cup. Mm. I think he only registered like 16 touches in the whole game and was very quiet. So I was interested to see which side we were going to get. And I knew he had quite a good international break. Oh, it seems like he has a good international break. He scores. seems like he scores all the time with uh, Albania. So yeah, I was I was hopeful seeing him on the uh, starting eleven, and I thought this is possibly an opportunity for him to show himself. You know, like from a, a first start, we can see what he can do. And uh, yeah, I th- I thought he looked really good, and um, in the end, it was a it was a good choice, and I'm glad he started because he I think he affected the game really well. Oh, well,
0: Mikey, you saw it firsthand when we scored. How did the game change, or did it really change at all? Were we still the team in the ascend- ascendancy? Did Leeds really create anything apart from the Dan James chance? Because normally when we go one nil up, I've started to feel a little more nervous than I I used to about five six years ago because of the the history of us dropping points. I think we dropped twenty three uh, last season. What what was the feeling around the ground, and also the way the team played?
1: Um, well, I think after after the goal. Um... We we sort of we we continued attacking, which was quite nice, like I think a couple of times we have dropped off, especially under previous managers, we've dropped off and hasn't really worked that that well. Um but I think I think my mum turned to me with about eight, nine minutes to go. She went, Oh, this is gonna be a long ten minutes, isn't it? And it wasn't really. There there weren't really many chances leads created at all apart from Dan James. Uh, I think that's that was my confidence going into like, the last 5-10 minutes of the game. It's like Leeds hasn't offered a lot at all during the game. We can just control this. Salisu's been dominant throughout the entire game. Bednarek looked solid. Um, our midfield 2 haven't really been battered around that much. Uh, they done really well. I thought Diallo was really good. Um, and we've controlled a lot of it. We We controlled a lot of the game. Leeds created very little um and yeah it was just quite a solid ending to the game i think i think probably the best bit of the ending of the game is poor nathan teller came on with 30 seconds to go and didn't get a touch of the ball <laughs> uh, which is very similar to what dan enderloo used to do if you listen to previous podcasts previous but podcasts. uh yeah, he's he set the new record of zero touches on on the ball after coming
0: onto the pitch which is quite nice I was going to say, Jamie, it didn't really feel or looking at the game the way Mike explained it, there's sort of no reason to back off because if we're in control, if we're dominating and we score, why would, why would you sit back against a team that, yes, Harrison's dangerous but you and uh, Dan James as well, but then you look at Rodrigo, he's not, he wasn't brought in necessarily to be a goal scorer or at least it doesn't feel that way and if they did then that's a bit silly he <laughs> was never a, a clinical goal scorer at Valencia. But it didn't sort of feel like, come on, we can get a second, we can get a third and then You know, A, help the goal difference, but B, if you get a few more goals, it it definitely helps the confidence as well.
2: Yeah, I genuinely thought Redmond was going to get one. I thought it was class on the day, especially on the previous podcast with Mikey slandering him, saying he's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, Jamie, Jamie, take responsibility on your
1: opinions, okay?
2: I thought it was brilliant. I thought he really took control of that game. I genuinely thought he was going to get another one. I think. I think he got what? I can't say the name, the goalkeeper, at home. Mesela?
0: Elan Meslier, I think. Meslier, yeah. He,
2: I think he just tipped it wide and then he hit the post once, I think. And it's, oh, what a player. I really thought he was going to get a goal today. I think that would have been just deserved.
0: Ollie, Resburns, what are your thoughts? Because, you know, I look, I look at. I look at Nathan Redmond, and a lot of the time Saints fans have been frustrated, but I think Tom Leach, the Hampshire Live uh, reporter, sums it up sort of quite well in saying that we sort of know how good he can be. And I think that's why a lot of Saints fans get frustrated you know there's less frustration around Elianusi or maybe Gineppo because we've not really seen consistent quality whereas there's definitely been times in the Saints year where Redmond's shown that what are your thoughts on Nathan Redmond this game and do you think he's coming back to what he can be I know it's only one game but Ralph was sort of hinting at the fact that he wasn't fully fit last season and now when he's come back he's looking a bit sharper than he previously did
3: well we know the whole problem with Redmond is his inconsistency and that's a that is a, a skill that is almost what's the word you'd hope as professional footballer you can have some sort of level of consistency and I think the problem with Redmond is when he's on form, I mean the the first season when Hasenhoosel came in, that kind of comes to mind. That was like probably the best we've seen Redmond in a Saint shirt. He was amazing that tail end of that season and I think that's what fans know he can be. And if it is that he hasn't been quite fit, then, yeah, that might be a reason. But I think the, the problem is that if he's not on it, he can be almost like a, a person who's not even in the, t- the team at all. And sometimes he just gets picked on his defensive abilities as winger, which isn't really a thing that you should pick players for. Whereas you look at someone like Gineppo, at least he's got that unpredictability about him in the fact that there's a bit of more of a, a consistent output from him I mean sometimes it doesn't always go well but you know with Gineppe he might do a few things in the game that kind of uh, make a difference now and again whereas yeah Redmond sometimes when he's not on it he can be really frustrating to watch because yeah when his confidence isn't there he's he's like half a player he's not even really affecting the game so yeah I, I really do hope that this can be the bit where he kicks on and we get a bit of consistency throughout for maybe like a whole season where he just has solidly good performances but yeah it seems like he he fluctuates too quickly with his uh with his emotions and it just means sometimes when he's not in the groove he doesn't really affect games so i mean fingers crossed we all want to see him do well um so let's just hope yeah he keeps drawing the positives and keeps that consistency going because that's what we need sorry. I, mean, I
1: was gonna say I think this is this might be a new Nathan Redmond we're seeing. He sort of assumed a new role in the team. I think he's twenty seven now, isn't he? Indeed. Or at least he's getting yeah, he's getting towards that age. He was surrounded by youngsters around Dimbrosia comes to mind, Gineppo, uh, Diallo. Like this was quite a mixed team of youth and experience. He's also got Elianuzi with him, who of course, even though he's as I think similar age to Redmond. He's not been at Southampton. Well, I know. I know technically he's been at Southampton for three or four years, but he's only really been Southampton for six months or so. So, um, he's a very experienced professional in our in our team. I don't know if that's just a new role that he's assuming. And I know I love my numbers and everything like that. But he created 11 shot creating actions, which is like either a dribble or a pass or whatever. He he created 11 shots um, just by himself. He also created the goal, of course, for Brozier with a great run. It was a brilliant pass from Gineppo as well on the counter attack. But one stat that really impressed me is he had 60 touches of the ball. Which for a striker is a ridiculous amount. Like yeah. Brozier was involved a lot; he had 34 touches of the ball. Redmond almost doubled the amount of touches that Brozier had. It showed how involved he was in the game, and only Salisu on our side of the, on our team had more touches of the ball, which is just an incredible. It, it's an incredible stat because usually you will get your centre halves playing it between each other; that's where they get the majority of their touches. But Redmond to have 60 is insane and it shows how well he was and how good he was on the ball how he was dropping into those half spaces that leads to leave to drop in get that ball turn and run at them which is what we want to see redmond doing and it was also quite interesting to see him play as a striker and it actually worked quite nicely because um, we have seen him play in one of the front two roles and it not work as effectively so maybe him dropping in and being almost like a attacking midfielder or a false nine creates that that's he gets into that space where he can turn and he can run.
0: I want to talk more about Nathan Redmond after the break, but you know we have to go to a break. But before that, I'm going to do the another epi- or another another <laughs> part of the three man revamps quiz, and I've got a Ooh. script in front of me because it's a lot easier to read. The, the script. So the answer is a former Saints player and the clues are a player that has played with him before, one that he's played with at Saints and after they left Saints. So this week, the three players are Eric Lamella. Stephen davis and ika casillas that's eric lamella Stephen davis and ika casillas if you think you've got the answer remember you can tweet us at saints underscore score or at voice fm radio remember the three players a player that he played with before he joined saints whilst he was at saints and after he left saints so get those answers in and we'll read them after the third break we'll see you then
3: This is The Saints Score. You join us on Voice FM 103.9 and any other of your good podcasting platform hosts. So if you want to get in contact, join us at Voice FM Radio or at The Saints underscore score. Confusing name, I know, but go with (laughs) it. We're running with it. Jamie, I know you want to praise Redmond a little bit more. Um, What did you want to say about him?
2: I was going to say, I'm really loving him at the moment, especially with the likes of... um, Ryan Burcham leaving the squad is quite a big player in the dressing room, quite a player uh, younger ones looked up to. I think Redmond's really taken that role as well because you see um, Liv has been talking so much about um, how Redmond's really been helping him, Brozier and even Daniel Similio. Is that right, Tiz? I believe so, yeah. Oh, well in. That's a first, that. (laughs) 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 Um, I just love the fact that you're stepping up because I think that's what we really needed in this dressing room. Because I do love that Ralph is focused on getting younger players in, but we also do need those cool, calm, collected heads that have actually played in the game for longer than at least three years. I just think it's brilliant that he stepped up to this role. I just think that's anything that could really he could do for the club anymore. I think if he couldn't, you, if he couldn't step up, where else he go? Do you, do you go?
3: reckon that the fact that James Will has come out, Redmond's gone, well, I'm one of the most senior now, so I'm going to take that role. Do you reckon he, he, he likes the fact that... I know Romero was the captain, but... Is Redmond taking from, you know, War prowse not being there?
2: You... Possibly, I think, because we do, like I said, we lack the leadership of the field. You know, I know it's a big voice, but realistically, Jack Stevens isn't there as well. So the back line is a bit, it'll be a lot quieter as well. So we need, we needed someone to step up and he's doing it perfectly.
3: I was going to ask as well, Redmond on corners, what does everyone reckon? It actually well, looks quite good. <laughs> yeah, the I, thing I, is, though, I think I really we're we're
2: we're, very, we're blessed to have Prousey though. and um, so I think anything other than Prousey automatically, we we'll think, ugh, really, this this rubbish. But uh, I think he stepped mm. up quite well. I think obviously, it doesn't normally take him.
0: Yeah.
1: The
2: thing
0: is, for me, I, I have a <laughs> there's different ways that you can look at this situation. I looked at Redmond's corners against Sheffield United, and I thought these these really aren't. Fantastic, but also that the, probably the first time he's ever taken corners at Saints for a very long time due to warprowse's dominance over the man when Bertram was here as well. And Redmond, he really impressed me. I mean, we saw two matches that had day highlights with a corner in about three minutes, so he must have done quite well with the ones that the ones that he did take. And he was probably unlucky not to get an assist a couple of times when Brojan nodded just wide, and I think he, it wouldn't have been an assist because it got nodded onto what was almost only a newcy at the back post. But I think he did. Quite well. There's there's different ways you can look at it. It's sort of the the unpredictability. They might not have known who was going to take Salamtha's corners with Perard coming back in, uh, back into the side. He was some that used to take them or normally takes them as well. So that's sort of part of it. But you could also look at it and think, well. When James Will Prowse has been playing, he's not had Brozier, six foot four, in the middle to aim for. Yes, he would have had players like Stevens and Solisium. They're not quite as much as a, of a presence in the attacking box, you know, airily. So you can look at it both ways, but you've got to praise Nathan Redmond. he's He's been given that responsibility by Ralph. And to be fair, he did really, really well. I can see Mikey sort of eyeing up eyeing up a point. So what, what do you think, Mikey?
1: I was just going to say that in the ger- general, like so in the top five leagues of european football last season three percent of corners were scored from like a direct ball into the box and then a header or a volley or whatever into the back of the net the the case of it being that oh like this person's delivery is not good enough or this this sort of there are so many variables into how a corner can be taken, how a corner can be scored from, that you need the perfect ball into the box, the perfect run from a player, the perfect header and the perfect finish. There are so many things that can go wrong in that instance. So you can practice set pieces, like, I don't know, for two, three, four hours on a Friday... And then get to Saturday and either, A, not even get a corner, because we've seen that happen before. Or B, I don't know, like someone steps up for their fourth corner, shanks it. Or, or someone gets blocked on their run towards the goal. Or something like that. There are so many variables in it. So I don't... I think people overlook how important corners actually are in the modern game and if you can score from corners fantastic you've got you've got a set piece there but it's so inconsistent how we score cor- like we don't score corners we only score corners because we had Yannick Vestergaard. um and even then it you look at some of the finishes that he had it was like poor marking Or it was someone let their runner go or it was just a very good delivery into the box So I think people look into corners a little bit too much into how important they actually are in the modern game because you you see it and people don't take advantage of it and you'll see like um, I Think I watched a video and there was an example from our game against Burnley last season where Burnley had four players in our penalty area and they were attacking the corner, and we had nine. It's such a numerical disadvantage for an attacking corner that you probably won't be able to find one of your players. And if you do, it's usually a defensive mistake instead of a good like, offen- offensive play. So I think people looking into corners a little bit too much to what they actually are and what they actually provide in the modern game.
0: The
1: you think it is, was- yeah, oh, you go, Ollie. I was go, just
3: going to say that because it's not just like corners and stuff like that. We get a lot of... like. Free kicks that don't just go for like... Do you know what I mean? Like you can cross from a dead ball as well. I think it's something like 22% of uh, goals came from dead ball situations. So I know Warprouse came out, but Redman has to take that position. And if 22% of goals come from dead ball situations, and like Redman's come in and done a good job. So I think it's a good thing for us that um, we found a good like, person to take it over. Because I, I know corners may not be as successful, but I think dead balls are really important and people who do specialize in dead ball situations and practice them do get better results. So I know corners may not be as like, important in the modern game as more, well, but I think dead balls still are just as important.
0: Well said. Opinions, Mikey. Do you, do you agree with that? Because no, we, do, did score, the,
3: the, we did score, we did score fifteen
0: the... set pieces last season. But also, that would probably include penalties. We've also got the best free kick taker, and we had Vestergaard. So it's sort of, it's difficult to judge because not every team's the same. So it doesn't mean that the set pieces is, is going to necessarily be better for some people or worse for some people because some no, people the, got taller players or shorter players.
1: There's always going to be an importance of set pieces. Set pieces will be, always be an important thing um just because just of like because it is you being set you've got a free cross into the box which you will never get in open play or hardly get in open play you it, it's a free cross into the box and you can have maybe four five six runners going into the box and you can try and find one of them but i, I think there is there is a difference between you see a lot of teams now if they get a a free kick from i don't know the halfway line maybe 20 30 years ago you will just lump that into the box and see what happens now teams aren't doing that they're just passing it about because it's more important to actually retain that ball and create a good goal scoring opportunity instead of just lumping it creating a 50 50 and maybe turning it into a counter attack i don't know if our counter attack came from a leeds corner i'm not too sure if it was a corner or a free kick or something like that maybe it was a dead ball situation maybe not i can't really remember but you you do create situations where we you can be counterattacked and can be numerically disadvantaged if you put too many people up for a corner i think statistically you can look at it and go oh yeah 20% of goals do come from set pieces um but then you can also you could probably switch that around and see how many Goals conceded are from your attacking set pieces. How many bodies do you put forward? How much of a risk do you take when putting that ball into a box? Will it be like if you put the ball into the box, keeper catches it, rolls it out? You could have a three on two or a four on two, depending on how many numbers you get forwards. So there, it is like a it is a debate where you've got a good chance of scoring, twenty percent chance of scoring from a set piece. But what is the percentage chance of you being counterattacked and conceding a good chance from that set piece? Uh, it's that balance. And I think you also see it now is with VAR being in the game. Like Teams are just defending these set pieces with high lines and you've got to be more intelligent and more clever with your running. Otherwise, you will be caught offside. How many times have we seen uh, teams come to our place and we've managed to catch them offside from a free kick that they've scored from? I remember I think it was Harry Kane a couple of years ago did his hamstring by trying to run onto one of them and put it in the net. But he was offside, so it didn't count. So I think that that's also a factor to bring in with the modern game of like it's now easier to catch people offside from free kicks than it was before.
0: Does that make the role of the set piece taker debatably not certainly but debatably important due to the fact that you've planned that set piece completely. A they've got to hit the ball at the right time they've got to hit the ball at the right place they've got to know where the runners are going because otherwise like you said the the ball can be counted from so it's almost more important that the ball is that good because otherwise if if he hits the wall or hits the first man like we see so many times not with us specifically but i mean just generally in the premier league or and you know other leagues as well that it makes the counter-attack even more threatening so it's even more important to find one of your players so that you don't get counter attacks if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah i think um, if you i mean if you have an incredibly good dead ball Player, then you've got to use that and you've got to exploit that, which we haven't really. I, don't, I mean, we had James will Prowse scoring directly from free kicks, and we've had a, like maybe three or four corners I can remember us scoring from, but that's probably over the last three seasons or so. So I don't, I can't really remember us scoring too many goals from corners and set pieces. Um, so that, that's got to be something that you do exploit, but that also takes in turn that it's not just about a good delivery; it's about everyone else. Like you, you, I, I see set pieces very much like um, like plays in American football, in the fact that it's a dead ball situation, and you you can look at the quarterback, and the quarterback's the most important person because he's the one chucking it to someone, or he's the one making the decision to run the ball. However, it's still everyone else's job to let that quarterback be able to put that ball in and have a successful play. Everyone's still got to do their runs. Everyone's still got to do their blocks to be able to make it happen so it's not just about oh like james will Prowse has to put a good ball into the box and then someone will just eventually get on the end of it everyone else has to do their movements successfully to then have a successful set piece i think we saw england in the world cup they like lined up in a train type thing and everyone had different movements to try and create space for a header or a shot or something like that So it's not just about, oh, can this player put a good ball in or not? It's also about, can everyone else do their jobs? in the box, which I think is what sometimes people forget. Will Prowse can put the most amazing delivery in, or Redmond can put the right delivery in, but because someone hasn't done their job properly, the blame will go to him that it's not a good set piece, it's not a good delivery, because it's not gone near a person. However, one of the, like, I don't know, Salisu or Stevens or whoever's running onto the ball, they might have not done their run, run properly, and therefore the set piece breaks down, and the blame goes to the guy who put the ball into the
0: box. Put on right, we'll talk about James <laughs> Will Prowse and Diala. I think I think I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I think we've we've figured it out. And you know, look at Twitter. You know, send them to this podcast if they want to explain the set pieces because I think we did but- well there. <laughs> Right, James ward versus Diallo. Diallo had an unbelievable game from what I've heard and statistically as well. And I think did our goal come from Diallo breaking up the play as well. I want to say he he was the one that fed it to Gineppo who put an unbelievable ball through. I don't think a lot of people mentioned that his ball through to Redmond was fantastic. Should ward be worried? We talked about it last, pod, last podcast and I was like, nah, he's the captain, he'll walk straight <laughs> through all of this, all of that. But we've won a game when James Earl Prowse isn't in the side. Diallo was an integral part of that. And now we've possibly found a good set piece taken with Redmond as well, even though we're not going to go back into that <laughs> avenue. Ollie, should James Earl Prowse be worried about his position or does he go, I'm the captain, I'm walking straight back into that team?
3: Well, I'm always under the pressure that you don't change a winning team. So especially at the moment, if we keep winning, then I think you keep this team the same. If Excuse me. Um, If we do end up having a problem in midfield, or we have a draw, which is a bit shaky, and things needs to be changed up, then obviously maybe restore the balance a little bit. But you've got to say, it was a good win. We looked quite strong, and then they'll have a quite a a physical game against Burnley. It'll be a different kind of game. We'll cover the preview later. But you know, Leeds are very. uh, What would you say? Um, They're very attacking. They uh, have a lot of risks to their games, whereas Burnley are kind of the opposite, really. So if you keep the same team, see how they do. If they still do well, then yeah, warprowse might struggle to get back into the team. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens after Burnley for me, I think.
0: Mikey, what are the things that Diallo can do that James warprowse can't and vice versa, would you say, looking at the team?
1: I think Diallo is a lot more positive in the way that he plays. I think he looks forward quicker. Um, He's definitely, I think he's a better dribbler on the ball as well. He's a lot lighter on his feet. Um, But I don't think there'll be too many issues. I I think Ralph said, I know this is nothing to do with Diallo, but Ralph said in a press conference that Perrault offers that sort of outside wing back left footed if you want someone to do an overlap. Then you play Perrod if you want walker Peters playing at left back. He'll run inside, and he'll run inside with the ball because he's very good at that. And he'll he'll provide like an underlapping, maybe even playing as a defensive midfielder type role. And I I can see why people say don't change your winning team and like you want to have this consistency, especially with your back four and your back line. If they're keeping clean sheets, you don't want to change it. However, I think adaptability has become a lot more. I think has become needed and I think Ralph wants to do that so like, I know someone said earlier in the show I can't remember who that Brozier's got to start in the next game I don't think he does I think I think this team is very this squad is very good with what each player can provide individually like striker wise. We've got chair Adams. Who's very good at holding the ball up. Very creative can drop into those half spaces and provide a pass to someone else. We've got Brozier Who's very tall, very dominant. He's a physical presence. We've got Adam Armstrong who can run in behind. He's quick. He, he can press really well. And all of a sudden you, you look at then the style of play of Burnley. I know this isn't like the section for it. I'm ruining the podcast again, Harry. I'm sorry. Um, But you look at Burnley, they've got two incredibly strong physical uh, midfielders. And, uh, defensive midfielders. and Defensive midfielders, centre-halves, their entire spine is massive. And then you've got... um, They play really compact, really narrow. There's not going to be the half spaces that there were for Leeds for Nathan Redmond to drop inside. So I wouldn't want, personally, Redmond to start up front um, against Burnley, because I don't think we can exploit his qualities in the same way that we did against Leeds, that we can against Burnley. You play against different teams every single week. So in my opinion, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, oh yeah, we need to start the same 11 that we had before. I can see why people want it and it makes sense in my head that, oh, you've got a winning team, you don't want to change it. But different teams are different qualities, different players are different qualities. So I personally would change the team if if we were to do burnley but that's for later that's fine yeah that's we'll for later for
0: and that's later. for after this break but once again quickly the three bag quiz before the break if you missed it last time it's three players one that has played uh well the answer sorry, i have to go with the answer now because i've got to say that it's a former saints player and the three clues are a player that has played before he joined the club during his time at the club and after his time at the club. And this week it's Eric Lamella, Stephen Davis, and Ika Casillas. That's Eric Lamella, Stephen Davis, and Ika Casillas. I'm not. Jamie, you said you're confident. I know Ollie... the answer, Sam. Ollie, I Mikey, know. are you confident this week? No. You're not confident. Mikey doesn't know it. Mikey, Mikey doesn't, doesn't know it. Ollie, What's do you thought? know? I don't know.
3: But you don't to know. To listen, uh, to work yeah, I
0: mean, you've got know. plenty of time what to work week? it out. So after this break, hopefully Mikey and Ollie will come up with an answer, and hopefully you've got it at home at Saints underscore Score or at Voice FM Radio to get your answers in and get them in pretty soon because I'm revealing the answer after this.
2: Hello, welcome back to Voice FM 103.9. You're listening to the Saints Score with me, Jamie, Harry, and Mikey. But no longer Ollie as he had to go. He had, I think, he has a uni lecture on. But anyway, Harry. Let's find out the answer to your three-man quiz. You give that a little bit of a rundown for people who may have just joined in listening now. Then yeah. I'll tell the answer.
0: Well, so the three-man quiz, we've changed it up for the recent two episodes and it's a former Saints player. That's the answer. A former Saints player and the three clues are a player that he's played with before he joined the club, after he left the club, and his time at the club. And this week, it's Eric Lamella, Stephen Davis, and Ika Casillas. Those are the three players Mikey has absolutely no idea and I'm absolutely loving every single minute of it. We could just sit here for ages. I could sit here and watch Mikey (laughs) not know the answer for ages, but Jamie does know and he said he didn't cheat he did not cheat either this week, which is even better if not believable. So Jamie (laughs) who what what is the answer this week?
2: Comment him a little bit more. Give you a little bit of a clue. He he loves a headbutt he loves a yeah. screamer against Manchester City. He hates Jose Fonte. Well, he didn't.
0: No, allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, he dislikes jo- uh, Jose Fonte. What is the answer, yeah, just buddy. for people that missed it there?
2: Danny Go Osvaldo. And Jamie do it. Yeah, Danny Woo! Osvaldo. Danny Osvaldo played with Ike Casillas at Porto, Indeed. and he played with Steven Davis at Southampton yeah. and Lamella at Roma. See, I completely
0: forgot that. Um, that Osvaldo went to Porto because I wanted to do it when he was on loan at Juventus but technically he didn't leave us by that point so I had to just sort Um. of find someone else so yeah it had to be it had to be Osvaldo because I can't think of anyone else that left to go to Porto and for Real Madrid Bale would have played there but he didn't he wasn't anywhere before he came to us so it technically had to be Osvaldo so I finally got one over Mikey but will Saints (laughs) get a win over Burnley that's the upcoming fixture Saturday Saturday and I was thinking about it, it's quite nice knowing that people are probably listening to this podcast right now heading to the game. I never really thought about that before, you know. They've got the we are their pre-match, which I do really enjoy. But Burnley, they're coming up. We did beat them once last season 2-0, oh no, 1-0 sorry, away at uh, well, I believe it's Danny Ings that scored that day. But can Saints get back-to-back victories? We'll go to Mikey, looking at the game, you sort of mentioned it in the previous segment, but what are you worried about about Burnley? Because they've not won so far this season. I think they've got two points on the board after, after their draw against Norwich, uh, which was a couple of weeks ago, actually, and they lost man, two Man City, 2-0 last weekend. How do you think they're going to attack? How are they going to be dangerous? Who are you worried about this weekend?
1: Um, I mean, I think Burnley are probably the most consistent team in the way that they play. I think you got two very strong, very good centre-halves in James Tarkowski and Ben Mee. You've got a good goalkeeper in Nick Pope. They're just going to sit. They're not going to... Um, I mean, you've got good attacking quality as well. And Chris Wood, he's a good goal scorer. He'll get you goals. I mean, he hasn't scored this season yet. But he will get you goals in the Premier League. <laughs> Dwight McNeil is a very good creative source as well. Um so I think, you know, the Burnley are a good side. And let's not forget they got Jack Cork in there too. Um, ex-Hampton player, who I'm sure will appear at some point this season with Harry's little uh, three-word, three-man thing.
0: Um, I thought about it, but it's very confusing. He, he was going to be my answer for this week, but it was just so many it's different it's teams it's and. Just, love. I, I two, would have got Jack Cork. Um, it, no, it's because he had two spells at Saints that I didn't know which one to technically choose. But yeah, uh, yeah anyway, anyway lone move, anyway, anyway, he made like six appearances. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> um, sorry, I, I broke his stride. Keep going.
1: Um but yeah you know what you're going to get with Burnley you're going to get a compact team you're going to get a solid team you're going to, I mean this is a team that only conceded twice to Man City so I mean not quite as good as us but um yeah you know, like they they're going to be defensively solid and it's going to be a team that we are going to have to break down um I think the key with this game is not do what we did 2 years ago where me and Jamie were at the game it was horrible it was rainy and we give away two incredibly easy goals one directly from a corner and then we have to the game that's something we can't afford to do um we need to either I mean score early control the game like we did against Leeds or um or we just can't concede against them because we know that we're going to try and we're gonna find it tough to break Burnley down um so not conceding early and not conceding stupid goals I think those are going to be like the two main uh key things to go into because we know Burnley do lack a bit of quality so it will be Like some sort of error on our part will cause a goal.
0: How do you think we're going to deal with the physicality, Jamie? Because we don't have Vestergaard this season, who, in all fairness, has struggled a bit with Leicester. I know they did win <laughs> four uh, to last game. There's been a couple of complaints about about him, but you know he's new at Leicester. He's got plenty of time to settle in. But you know we've got Salisa, we've got Benrek, Not quite as big as the six foot seven Dane. So how do you think we're going to deal with that? And do you think that's how Burnley are going to attack us? Thinking if we can get the ball up in the air against players like Salisa and Benrek? Because for the last two weeks, against or last four weeks, technically against Wolves, and, um, and who are the team we just played? Leeds, there we go. <laughs> both Bednick and Solita have let the ball bounce beyond them, uh, and which they both almost score from, one, one in fact they did score from. So do you think that's the method that they might try and attack from?
2: Well, if you remember last season, Vestergaard's form began at Burnley because he came in to counteract the players of the likes of Chris Wood because he's so tall, he can outstrength them all. I I think that we I think we'd be fine personally because I think Salucci is really coming to form recently and is showing his weight around the club at that defensive line. I think it's a shame that Jack Stevens could be very good in this game as well. because He's not afraid to put a challenge in. But we got I, I think we'd be okay because we do have Romeo there He can also sit a bit deeper while Diallo goes further upfield. I think I'll be able to counteract the la- the lack of height that we have with Vestergaard.
0: Mike, is Jamie right or wrong? Do you think similar or do you think different?
1: Uh, I, I do agree with the Jack Stevens point. Great. I think Jack Stevens would love this game. Uh, he, he <laughs> lo- I think he, will love, he loves a physical battle. So, um, yeah, I, I think he'll be a miss. Uh, uh, but I think Salisu against Leeds, he was just an absolute dominant force mm. in our back line, He was brilliant uh, through the game. The flexibility of that man is like absolutely insane. Have <laughs> you seen how he tackles? He like does the splits. He, he he just increases his surface area so much on the bottom of that on his on that field by just splitting his legs and making the tackle that way. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, Benarek was solid against Leeds. He didn't really make a make a mistake, which is new to him. Um so that that was really nice as well. So i I can see us going in with a similar backline. We know how compact they're going to be. I wouldn't have thought Walker Peter's running into like the half spaces will allow us to create that width. I would have thought we'll want to create our width through using Perrault, using Livramento to get wide. Um so yeah. I think that's sort of how we're going to negotiate the game. I think we can see a similar ish team to the one against Leeds, but I can't see us
0: doing the exact same. You sort of explained how we're going to look dangerous, but now, so, you know, we're going to look at the starting 11. What do you think is going to change? Because obviously the goalkeeper is going to be the same, the two centre backs are going to be the same after, you know, what, and the right back as well, and probably Perard, you know, after you keep a clean sheet. For me, there's no need to really change too much. You guys. The rest of the team, or if you think there's going to be a wild change in defence, what changes do you think Ralph could implement to make you know well, to make us more likely to win?
2: I think it will be that Pride will come out because um, Ralph did say he likes to swap him round with Walker Peters. I think Burnley are as attacking side as Leeds are. I think um, it's a quite. Oh, uh,
0: I wouldn't quite go. I wouldn't quite say they're as attacking.
2: No, I said, sorry. Them. I said they're not, Harry. I said they're not as attacking. As oh, as, okay. I'll let, I'll, so let <laughs> I'll let you off. So, yeah, I would never say that. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe we just like, shot ourselves in the foot there, a bit of karma. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, Harry, before you rudely interrupt I'm you, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying, I think well, Peters will come into this game because he's more a defensive player rather than attacking. That's just like Ralph said in the press conference. And that's really the only change I personally make. Or maybe having I mean, Stuart Armstrong starting. But I don't know who I dropped for him, so that's a problem. Mikey? Uh, there would be a couple of
1: changes that I'd make. I'll keep the back four the same. I wouldn't bring Walker Peters in. Um, I'd keep Perode in, because I think that width that he provides will be very important in like trying to spread um, Burnley out a little bit more. Um, I think bringing Stuart Armstrong in for Giannepo, I think, will be something that I would probably do as well. Because I think Armstrong, he's a lot more composed on the ball. He's going to be someone who um, controls the player a little bit better. I think Gineppo's a little bit... He's good for games against Leeds, where he's going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations. But on -on two-on-one situations, you want to have um someone who can provide that little flick. I think that's something that we've missed. When he came off the bench against Leeds, Armstrong would just do little like one, two touch passes, but they create an opportunity for us to put a ball into the box or like create like make 20, 30 yards. And I think that's the intelligence you miss with Stuart Armstrong. I think that'll be something that's going to be important. I was really impressed with Elianuzi as well. I thought he was brilliant. So I'd keep him in the side. And I think I'd I'd probably want to put Che Adams in. I, I I don't know for who uh, is he fit. I don't know.
0: I'm not too so sure. He did have a mu- I think it was sure. a muscle injury. But if he is fit, you're saying that you'd want to play him.
1: Yeah. If if he is fit, I'd want to play him. The only issue would be is that I I I wouldn't want to take Nathan Redmond out. But I don't really know where who else I'd take out because I'd want Brozier in for his height and his physicality. Mm. But maybe he's not up to that yet. Uh, it would be like his first proper big test against... I'm not putting anything against Leeds, but their centre-halves weren't exactly the most physically dominant. Uh, they didn't put our strikers under a lot of pressure, I don't think. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Brozier come out, but then I wouldn't, I'd not I'd like to see him retain his place in that way. So I don't know, keep, keep the same front two, maybe. No, sure, I uh, does
0: sure Armstrong look fully fit? Because I, I'm not sure how long he came onto the pitch for. Did, did he look like back uh, n- to normal prime self?
2: he go on, Jamie. See, it's, uh, it's hard for a player him to make a, such a big impact from the bench, obviously. But I think he did come into the game quite well. I, I think I'd like to see him start because I think he had a decent game for the short amount of time he was on the pitch. I think it's fair to say that he would be ready to go. Cause I think he was. I think correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think he was ready to come back before the international break. Anyway, I think um, so I think he's definitely fit enough for
1: it. was was he on the bench against Chelsea? I'm not I'm like sure. sure. I'm, sure.
0: I'm, I'm pretty
1: sure yeah, he is. was on the bench against Chelsea, and if he was fit enough to go away, I know Ralph wasn't exactly happy with him going away with Scotland. I um, think he wanted to keep him at the club. Um, but yeah, uh, he lo- he looked all right coming off the bench. He played half an hour, so. That's quite a bit of football for someone returning from injury. Yeah, I wouldn't say he had like an incredible impact on the game, but at that point we were one 0 up, I believe. Yeah, because Giannepo was involved in the goal. He he came on six minutes after the goal, and he just sort of controlled the game quite nicely. He I think it was the right decision to bring him on for Giannepo. And Giannepo did his job well. But I think he wasn't out of the front four. He was probably the one that wasn't performing the best, but that's nothing on Gineppo. That was just how well the other three were doing. Um, so, yeah, that that would probably be the changes I'd make.
0: We've reviewed Leeds. We've had a look at Burnley both, you know, how they could scare us and how we're going to scare them and predicted. The starting eleven, but what we haven't done is predict the score. Ollie isn't here, but I'm gonna just assume he'd say one one. <laughs> Jamie, what do you think this week? How do you think the game's gonna go? And will we get a you know, back to back victories and since I don't know when was the last time?
2: I think it's nothing but a win against Burnley anything I like other than three points is unacceptable in my opinion unacceptable that's, so, mainly, I'm I'm sorry, sorry, but that's but, a
0: bit far I wouldn't say unacceptable I'd say a bit
2: disappointing I said in the next three, three games including Leeds that I thought we'd drew its Leeds and win the next two against Norwich and I think that's what we should be doing I, I, I generally think it is unacceptable if we don't get a win because there a side we should be beating I generally think we have better squad than them and it should not be a comfortable win don't get me wrong but it's the game we should be winning
0: Mikey, will it be unacceptable if we don't win? Don't
2: look at the look at points around us, Harry. Let's like, look at the league table up quickly. The teams below us can get three points to overtake us and we're back in the scrap again. We're, not snow, we're near out of it. Burnley and Newcastle, uh, 18th to 19th on three points, so they get a win. Six, the one point below us. It as. we should be winning these games. This is, it may be early in the season, but these are games we have to be winning. Uh, I
1: only think you can be out of the scrap of it eight games (laughs) into a season. Um, But uh, it's a game that I think the supporters would expect us to win. It's a long trip down for Burnley. They've always struggled um, away from home down here. I think the only win that they've got is the 2-1 that we did lose when Danny Ng scored his, I don't know, 18th of the season. I don't know why I've gone for a goals. I think they yeah, might have beaten but Everyone Pellegrino beat us no on Pellegrino. So, that that year just, Everton. That, no, no, boom. no. That year doesn't count in my books. <laughs> 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 everyone beat us that year. We either got beaten or we drew. Like, that was pretty yeah. much the entirety of that season. I don't think we picked up too many wins. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a game that we are going to be looking to win. Uh, and the thing, uh, I think as well. Uh, with uh, how some of us have described, and I know a lot of supporters were disappointed how we start the season. I think on this podcast, we are okay with how we start the season because we looked ahead at the fixtures that we got now and we can see winnable games. Our start of the season will be okay if we do get another win against Burnley because there'll be two wins on the bounce. We'll get six points better off. Um, and this is a game that, I mean, we beat them twice last season, which is something that we don't do often so that that would be something quite nice to try and continue this run that we do have against Burnley um so yeah I think it's, it's a game we should be expected to win but I don't I don't think a point is a bad result but it is like three points of what we want from this game
0: yeah, I think it's it's a good way to continue our good run, or oh, I say good run of form, we've won one game, but I think this patch of games is where we can get the momentum. I talked about it in a more jovial sense last week, but if we get 15 points out of the next five, suddenly we're surging up the table, and I didn't mean just us, but just any team. So, you know, we're not necessarily in a relegation battle yet, you're only in a relegation battle with 15 games to go when everyone sort of knows their position, but yeah. I'm going to go for a Saints 1-0 victory again. Jamie, what's the score? I want to know the score. What are you going to say?
2: 2-0 Southampton. Clean sheet from Macca. Mikey?
1: one uh, nil Southampton again. It's going to be another nervy, not nervy finish, but just a close, a close game.
0: So we are all going to say clean sheet. So if you've got Tino Livramento in your FPL team, A, <laughs> if you don't, why don't you? He's a great asset. But B, chuck him in the starting 11 because that's what I didn't do this week. And I really wish I did because I doubled up on Wolves defenders and they, they conceded twice. So I was very upset. But anyway, that's enough. We haven't got any more time this week. We've sort of crammed everything that we could into this week's podcast. And next week, hopefully, we'll be relieving a win against Burnley and previewing... Another match of football. Who will we against next week? I'm pretty sure. No, it's no. Nah, that's that's ages away. Watford. Absolutely ages away. Um, Watford, Watford. That's the one. And also have a look at the Chelsea game as well, because by then that game I think would have been played. So we'll talk about that. Thank you very much, Mikey, for joining me. Well, th- well, thanks for having me. I don't really know what to say, <laughs> <if> mate. <I'm> <laughs> so, thank you. Thank, stuff, eh? <laughs> well, thank you, Jamie, for joining me.
2: Thank you, Harry, for joining me and Mikey. And thank
0: you to the audience for listening once again this (laughs) weekend. And we will see you next weekend. Have a good one.